Hey, what's going on guys? It's Michael from The Honest Youth Pastor back again with another sermon review. And what do we do on this channel? Why does The Honest Youth Pastor exist? Well, The Honest Youth Pastor, all of the things we do, all of the things, exist to help believers use biblical discernment in all aspects of life. And today, we are going to be doing that via a sermon review. And we are going to be looking at a sermon review from Tim Summers, or Smoyers, I don't know how you say his name, from Elevation Church. He's the youth pastor at Elevation Church. Yes, that Elevation Church of Stephen Furtick. No, this is not a Stephen Furtick review, but this is a Tim Summers review uh, preaching at Elevation during a Sunday service. So we're going to be looking at that. Before we get into that, though, let me, let, me, let me tell you something real quick. In case you don't know, we currently have our Apostles' Creed coloring book resource available on our website check the link in the description below if you like what we do here that helps fund this sort of thing so we can make more videos you can also check out the links below in a variety of other ways you can help us out simplest way like share subscribe or you can become a patron whatever you want to do guys like whatever you want to do but today we're going to be looking at a sermon from tim Moyers. we're going to be looking at for three things as we always do in these sermon reviews the three things we're looking for is does he read the bible does he exegete the text contextually, culturally, application-wise? And three, does he mention Jesus, the Gospels, you know, the important stuff that you would look for in a sermon. Now, we're going to be looking at it using those three things. Don't want to take up any more of your time because I think this is going to be a little over an hour uh, bit of a sermon review. But one thing before we get into it, if you want to watch this without my uh, co commentary, like if you just like to watch Tim just being Tim, you can check out the link in the description below. That will give you the original video. Unlike a lot of the sermon reviews we do, this is not a recent one. I just typed in his name. This was the first one that came up at the top of the algorithm. So we let the algorithm decide today which one we're going to watch. This was actually back in February, 20, uh, February 24th, 2020. So let's just get into it and see what we got. Tim, the youth pastor at Elevation Church. Let's go. Uh, let me introduce you to my family real quick. You might not know who I am. My name is Tim Summers, and I get the opportunity to be the youth pastor here at Elevation Church. And uh, that's my beautiful family, uh, my, my gorgeous wife. That's my queen. She got me buzzing. And uh, that's my big boy, Brody. He's 13 years old. I know I don't look that old. Thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> and then I got my little three-year-old, Genesis. I know. You say that now. <laughs> and I want you to look at Sinead real quick and say, I'm so glad I'm sitting next to you. Okay, pick your second choice. Look at your second choice. Let them know, I'm so glad I'm sitting next to you, too. Come on, UC, let them know. Let them know. Okay, so we've covered this before a number of different times, that intros go a variety of different ways. Uh, he has chosen the, in well, we're not really into his intro. We're more into his introduction of himself. Um, one of the things you'll see, now I don't know why he's doing it here. He's a youth pastor here. I don't know how long he's been the youth pastor there. Maybe he's fairly new back in 2020, so a lot of people don't know who he is. Or maybe Elevation is just so enormous 
that you literally can't keep track of your passers. I'm not sure which one it is, but he introduces himself, does the classical, here's my family, here's my hot wife, here are my kids, let's get into it sort of situation. Um, so let's now get into the intro, right? Let's see what he does. So there's typically three ways that you will intro into a sermon. One, kind of what he did here, and then a story, right? So if you're a visiting pastor, it's typically uh, you'll see sometimes people tell a little bit about themselves. That goes a variety of different ways. And then you'll maybe have a story that intros into the scripture, or maybe you'll just dive right into the scripture, or maybe the third way is you give a little context up to the scripture you're going to read, so as by the time you read the scripture, people know the context of where you're at and a little bit better what's going on there. So let's see which one he chooses. You can find your way to your seat. So honored to be able to be here. Wasn't last week absolutely incredible? It was amazing. What happened last week? And I know what you're thinking. Bishop T.D. Jakes, Tim. It's okay. It's okay. I'm not judging you. All right. Uh, but we're going to be in the book of Matthew. Everyone say Matthew. This is going to be very interactive. I'm a youth pastor. I understand the attention span. Okay. I understand it. So I'm only going to give you four verses today. Okay. Four verses. Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. All right. So whenever a pastor, we've said this before, whenever a pastor says, let's go to these verses, let's go to these verses. All right. So he's going to read it. Let's get there now. It says this, then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan. Look at your neighbor and say, God's always on the move. Ooh, they don't know what's about to get them. <laughs> Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. Why are you coming to me, player? Jesus replied, let it be so now. Everyone say now. now. Come on, everyone say now. now. Ooh. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consented. And as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at the moment... Heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son whom I love, and with him I am well pleased. I want you to look at your neighbor real quick. And okay, before he gets into it, so let's just, just set this up, okay? Let's just set this up. Now, he emphasized the word now um, for a reason. Now keep a hold of that because you're going to need to know that. I've watched this whole thing through. That's why I know you need to pay attention to the, the word now. Also, this text is amazing. Okay. Like this is Jesus' baptism. This is, this is uh, the, the, the text in the scriptures that we see the father, the son, the Holy spirit in the form of a dove. This is before Jesus goes into the wilderness, um, as a representation of Israel in the desert, like this is where Jesus is baptized as a in the place of his people as a representative, right? Like this is a powerful, powerful text. A lot of amazing things could be preached from this text. Um, let's see what Tim does with it, right? Because there's, there's, I mean, man, you could go with the Trinity. You could, you could go with Jesus being a representative uh, for us. Um, you could go with the, this is like the beginning that leads to the end at the crucifixion. Uh, you could go a lot of different ways with this text to really open it up and really explain some beautiful truths uh, of scripture about who Jesus is, about uh, what he's going to be doing, what that means for us. 
Um, you could go a lot of ways with this. A lot of really good sermons have been preached on this. Um, so let's see where Tim goes with this, right? So this his intro was, hey, he, who this is who I am. Hey, let's jump into scripture. It's only four verses, but hey, that's okay. Like there's a lot here in these four verses. Let's see where Tim goes with it. I want you to tell him the title of my message. I want you to say, thank you, next. Thank you, next. Now, if this was a youth service, I'd hit that Ariana Grande instrumental right now. But since it ain't, I'm still going to hit it. Get it. Okay, you stop. I can already hear the YouTube comments flying right now online. So let's talk about that real quick. I mean, because he acknowledges it, so let's talk about it. There has to be a point where we, where we say, like, what is appropriate, what is not in regards for um, from preaching the word, right? So there's going to be people, I mean, I didn't look through these comments. This, this particular sermon has been viewed 126,380 times. Didn't look through the comments. Who knows? Um, the question is, like, what is appropriate and what is not appropriate for the Sunday gathering? Now, again. We've talked about this before, done a couple uh, sermon reviews on Stephen Furtick Elevation specifically. Um, they have a different uh, methodology for sure than I do in regards to what is the Sunday service for, what's appropriate, how should you handle it, uh, how reverent should you be with the text, all of those things. And I think that demonstrates here, one of the questions you really have to ask yourself though is like, where do we want to get people uh, as we walk them through this, are there things, again, this is only 33 minutes and 56 seconds long. What do we want to do with our time to utilize it well in order to get our uh, the congregation in a headspace in which they are focused on the scripture, they can learn from the scripture, they can apply the scripture, and then they can go out into a, a lost and a dying world to live out that scripture to tell others about who Jesus is uh, and what he's done for them and us. Um, so with that in mind, we really have to craft the service in a way that's respectable to the text, respectable to people's time, depending on how long you go, um, and ultimately glorifies Jesus. So those are the questions we have to ask, right? Like I personally would not do that. I think that is, um, out of place for sure, but I know that's going to be some conversations and wrestlings that people have, especially in youth ministry. I would say even in youth ministry, that's that's a no. Like, I know you want to relate. I know you want to connect with. I think it just comes off as goofy. That's my perspective, though, <laughs> even though I think I'm totally right. So let's keep going. How dare them? Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, the, the Summer's House likes to have a lot of fun. Okay. Maybe a little too much fun every once in a while, uh, hence UTV. But um, we really like to have a lot of fun. And um, if I'm honest with you, uh, the fun happens around dinner time, okay? Now, we're not this perfect family like every single night at 6.30. It's just glorious and confetti and everyone's just happy. No, it's not like that whatsoever. Um, however, we do like to have fun. Now, you got to understand, we've got a 13-year-old and a 3-year-old. I do want to brace you really quick, right? So we're three minutes into the sermon. We have read the scripture, okay? Um I just want to brace you because I've listened to this all the way through. He's going to go into a pretty long story here. I don't know how long because I didn't track it before. I just listened to it. But I am going to track it now because, again, I want to I want to get it in our head. I think when we listen to sermons, especially as pastors as we prepare them, 
the things we need to look for is utilizing our time. But secondly, do the stories we tell amplify the text, make it a bit clearer, or is it like not helpful at all? Is it a waste of time? So let's look at that. The last sermon we review we looked at, if you want to go back to last week, it was really, he did a great job at utilizing stories in order to amplify the text. So let's see if this is what Tim does, uh, or like, what is it? Amplifying the text, which we've, we've read, we haven't really even looked into, so what are we amplifying? And two, is it just sort of a waste of time? Let's see. That is a dynamic, okay? It's a dynamic, all right? And um, if I'm honest with you, like we like to play some music, you know? So we play like, you know, Ariana Grande, like dancing. My three-year-old's like, oh, like his dance move is like this. It's like, he does this. That's what he does. I don't know where he gets that from, but that's actually kind of good. I think, we, okay. Um, and uh, we'll, play, we'll play songs like Yummy by Justin Bieber. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, my, my son always looks at me and he's like, Daddy, you have a lot of tattoos in that video. Y'all are smarter than Saturday. They did not get that. So a couple of things here. This is going to sound nitpicky to some people. I totally get it. But whatever, if you're here, I've, I've sound nitpicky to you before this, I'm sure. Two things. One, um, I've heard it said before. I cannot remember for the life of me where I've heard it said. But people have said before that some pastors, um, how is it? I can't even, I don't even know how it was worded exactly. Um, some pastors are really good at like telling stories and jokes. So they would be better at being a comedian or like a presenter or a TED talk giver, right? Than they would be a pastor. I think this is an instance where you're sort of seeing that, right? So Tim's delivery is great. People are laughing. Tim's like storytelling is great because people are engaged. But the idea is that there's like a difference, right? There's a there's a, an entertainer and then there's a pastor. And that's what we want to look for here. Like, yes, I mean, you can be a Christian entertainer, but that doesn't defaultly put you in the category of Christian pastor and preacher and teacher. Those are two distinctively different things. So we've talked about that roughly before, that just because you can communicate well doesn't mean you are a good pastor. A pastor, again, we have the qualifications. You can look at them in Titus and Timothy and 1 Peter, but one of the qualifications is to divide the word rightly, be able to teach the word, be able to uh, discern and demonstrate how what, what is good doctrine and what is not good doctrine, not just entertaining people. So one of the things we're going to look for is that. Secondly, um, I don't remember the second point. So let's keep going. I just want to bring that out. Like Some people are really good at communicating. Doesn't mean they're a good like good at being a, a teacher though a preacher he thinks i look like justin bieber he thinks i am him i know it's cute it's precious um anyways but one of my favorite things that we do around dinner time is um we always eat and have dessert like always like we're gonna have a cookie we're gonna have some candy we're gonna bake a cake by we i mean my wife but you know what i mean by, by I, we are always going to have me some dessert, okay? How many of you like dessert? You like some sugar? That's the diet that I love, okay? I love me some sugar. And uh, so we do it all the time. So my son realized this. He's grown up in this, and he's like, all right. What he understands is that my wife always makes the dessert first, put it in the fridge, put it in the freezer, do whatever she got to do, and then she starts the main course. Well, 
What begins to happen, my son's like, oh, okay, I see how this works. Hey, mom, why are you making the dinner? Um, can I have me a piece of cake? <laughs> like, she's like, no, son, you got to make a happy plate. Now, if you don't know what a happy plate is, a happy plate is an empty plate. And if you make an empty plate, that's a happy plate, and we'll put the cake on the plate afterwards. You get what I'm saying? You got to make a happy plate. You can use that if you want, all right? It works. It really does. And uh, like, hey, mom, can I have some cake? No, son, sorry. You got to make a happy plate. What are you talking about? Uh, what my son did, he got really smart. He's like, mom, can I have some cake? No, you can't have a cake. Okay, cool. He walks across the living room, goes upstairs, go to my room and says, dad, can I have some cake? I was like, yeah, why not? Sure, I want some cake. Can you bring up a piece for me? See what I mean by delivery, storytelling? I mean, we're three minutes into a story, right? I should just slap a TED Talk sticker on here. And it's about parenting. Like, it could be that easy. That's what I want to demonstrate here with this particular part of the sermon review is that this doesn't add anything to what we've talked about. In fact, if you were to cut out the spot where we read the text, which was literally like two minutes, you would not know you were at a church. You would think you were at some sort of like open mic comedian night, right? Because he introduced himself, introduced his family, went right into the bit. If I cut out the scripture, which didn't take that much time. So those are the things. I've said this before. Um, I think it was, I forget his name, but he was the youth pastor at Transformation Church. But that the same sort of thing. Like you could, if you cut out the Bible Jesus parts and just splice the video together, doing a decent job editing, you wouldn't even know it was a sermon. You would think it was an inspirational talk. And those are the things we want to look for, right? So we have, one, read the scripture. Okay, well, where's the part where we get into it? Now, I'll give you, I'll give you, we're only six and a half minutes in. So he has, a, you know, a good 30, just under 30 to kind of get this out. But what we want to do is like, all right, where's the hook? Why are we even interested in scripture anymore? Why did we read about Jesus' baptism? Like, what does that mean? So let's see if this story that he's telling kind of eases us into that a bit. Absolutely. He goes downstairs to go get some cake. He starts eating it. All of a sudden, I'm hearing a little scuffle. Volume is raising. My wife does not yell. I'm like, what is going on? I'm like, I walk downstairs. I'm like, what's going on? What is happening right now? Like, well, I told him he couldn't have any cake. And, you know, he's eating this cake now. I'm like, what a terrible kid. Are you kidding me? Genesis. And then we started talking. We're like, all right, look, we got to understand. Got to make the happy plate. Then you can eat. Cool. My son comes around. He's like, mom, can I have some cake? No. Dad, can I have some cake? I got you, boy. No. Bubba, can I have some cake? Nuh-uh. Now, here's what you got to understand. He started doing this funny thing. Like, to this day, I still laugh. It's bad. My wife's like, stop, turn around, do not laugh. He cannot see you do that. I mean, it's hilarious. He will now start asking, and he like, like I don't know how he got all these facial expressions, but he's very, he's very dramatic. So if I was a, 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 a teacher of a homiletics class, right, a pastor, like a, a learning how to preach class, right, the, the, what I would be doing in the back of the room to Tim right now is this. Like, what, why are we spending four minutes on this story? Like, it, at this point, it better connect. There better be a payoff, right? That, that should at least be what we're looking for. As believers sitting in the Sunday gathering, our mind should be saying like, all right, well, like, when are we, when, when are we getting back to it? 
Like, why do I have my Bible open? If anyone even opened their Bible, it was on the screen. So they have no real incentive to, to do so since we've just read four verses and went on with it. But let's see. I, I'm basically just interrupting now for the fact that I don't want to sit here for a, a seven-minute story and just have you listen through it. Because then you'll just get confused. Like, what am I doing? Am I just listening to a Tim sermon uh, or a Tim talk? Oh, it's a Tim talk instead of a TED talk. Oh, I like that. Copyright. I copyrighted it. That's all you got to do, right? Just say it. He's very dramatic, okay? So now he asks, and he says, Mom, can I have some cake? She's like, no. And he goes like this. He puts his head down. He puts his eyes down. And he puckers out his lips like, like this. And he goes, no. And then he side-eyes you. Like, did that work? <laughs> right? Like, he's pouting. He's got attitude. I don't care. He's three. It's funny to me. I'm like, ha, ah, that's so cute. And um, goes to me. Dad, can I have some cake? Nah, bud. I'm sorry. You got to make a happy plate. No. But he's like this tall, right? Goes to Bubba. Hey, Bubba, can I have some cake? Can I have some candy? No, buddy. Sorry, you got to make a happy plate. No. <laughs> have you ever found yourself doing this to God before? Some people are like, wow, that was a powerful point. Wow. God, if I could just get that promotion, Felicia don't need it. I need it. I need that promotion. I've been working hard. And he's like, ah, but I'm working on some things with you, sweetheart. I don't think so. Not right now. No. <laughs> How do you do that? How do you do a side eye to Jesus? I don't even know. Right? Like, if I could just find me a man, please, come on, give me a man, Lord. Give me, like, ah, we're working on self-control right now. No. No. Right? Like, you know, a lot of us walked into this room today and we're like, man, I'm ready to get blessed. I'm talking about, I'm excited for church. 14 years, Pastor Stephen about to bring the word. Tim Summers walks up. No. Now, I have to admit, that was a legitimately fun joke when I heard it the first time. That was, that was pretty good. That was, that was the highlight for me. That was a good joke. It really was. Because you make jokes about that all the time, especially with huge mega churches. Like, you, you, you... You attend, like you finally get to one, and then the the pastor that you came to see is not even there. It's some other dude. And then you're disappointed. Actually, what that tells you is you have an idolatry problem. Yeah. Yeah, you'd prefer that pastor over another pastor just because you like the way they preach. Not the content all I mean, you like the content, but you also like like the pastor better. So that's an issue. But we'll talk about that another time. Let's keep going. ourselves doing this we think we know what's best for ourselves don't we that's what Genesis thinks we he just thinks he knows exactly what is best for him but if I gave him dessert every single night first it would ruin everything including my sanity 
This is where John is in this passage. Because this says in verse 14, John tries to deter him. In the New King James Version, I love this one, it says, he tries to prevent him. He's trying to prevent Jesus to perform a miracle right now. He's saying, John says, I need to be baptized by you. All right, so time out real quick. So we're, I mean, that story was roughly seven minutes to get us to the point where he says that John is in the position which we find ourselves sometimes in which we ask God for something and God says no. And then we do a pouty face inside eye of Jesus. That, that's, what, that's what we've led up to, unless I've missed something, which is not the, the position that we find John in, in fact. Um, we see Jesus come to be baptized. He gets in the water. John knows that um, we don't really have a lot of indication of how John knows other than John just knows that Jesus does not need to be the one that is being baptized. It should be the other way around. The idea is that you're not sin. You you don't need to repent of sins. You don't have sins. He doesn't say that, but that's the implication we get. Again, there's there's not a lot we get other than John is is like no, like there's why would we do this? This the people in this line were coming to me to be baptized. Are coming for the baptism of repentance, Um, and you don't need to repent. This should be the other way around. Um, And then Jesus says, "Let's uh, well, let's pull this up because I don't want to get it wrong, right?" So let's pull up the scriptures real quick. Uh, he says, uh, Jesus answered him, let it be so, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. So he's he's there. John's like, I don't, I, I, I'm not the, well, let's just read it. Why am I trying to make stuff up? Here we go. John 14, uh, verse 14. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me to be baptized? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now for thus is it fitting to fulfill all righteousness. John knows that he's not the one that needs to be, or Jesus isn't the one that needs to be baptized. It needs to be the other way around. Jesus though says no. We need to do this. Let's do it now to fulfill all righteousness. And then, as soon as this occurs, we see the heavens open up. God say, this is my son whom I am well pleased. And the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove come down uh, on Jesus. There's this baptism of Jesus as a representative for his people is important. And this is why Jesus says that it needs to be done to fulfill all righteousness. So let's see where Tim takes this because there's a lot here. There's a ton here. Let's see what, what Tim does. You don't need it. I need to be baptized by you. I don't need to be baptizing you. Why do you come to me? John tries to prevent the miracle because in this moment, he thinks he knows exactly what's best. Okay, so this is going to be important. He says, John tries to prevent the miracle because John thinks he knows what's best. Now, there's a couple of things here that's a little weird. John tries to prevent the miracle according to Tim. John has no idea what's going to happen next. As far as John is concerned, John's big beef is that I shouldn't be baptizing you because you don't need to repent. Rather, you should be baptizing me because I need to repent. This is John's whole, whole holdup. He has no conception that anything is going to happen after this. It's not like John knew as soon as he baptizes Jesus, the heavens are going to split open and that's going to happen. John doesn't know that. In fact, we don't even have indication that John heard the voice 
or we, we there's no indication of any of that after we have no clue if any like who heard what we we're just it's it's because it's not important to the story it's not important to the narrative what's important to the narrative is that jesus is baptized to fulfill all righteousness and then the heavens are opened up and and god says this is my son in whom i am well pleased that that's the important part so john isn't not john's not preventing jesus because he's afraid uh to because he wants to prevent the miracle Okay. First of all, it's not really a miracle. It's more of a sign. And secondly, John doesn't know that's going to happen. There's no indication that John knows that. And second, his point was that, that John thinks he knows the, the situation right now, like the thing that needs to happen. John has some indication, whether it be by, uh, by the Holy Spirit or whatever, that Jesus doesn't need to be baptized for repentance. So that's his holdup. He doesn't think he knows better than Jesus. He just knows that, that Jesus doesn't need to repent. All right, so let's see where we go with this. And oftentimes we can think we know exactly what is best for our lives. Have you ever been there before? I know I have. I'm raising my hand. Why do we think that? It's because we think we know exactly what's coming up. We're like, no, I know what I'm going to do next. Absolutely. I mean, I've got a plan. Now, what I want to note here is that I want you to listen. I'm going to let this try to go for a little bit before I break in, but I want you to notice one thing. One, he, he immediately makes it about us. It's automatic eisegesis into the text after we've read it. It's all about us. We found our position there. We've done this before. We, 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 It's all about we, right? So listen to what we do. And then take note of, do we come back to this at all? Or have we completely moved on from the text? Use it as a jumping board. I mean, I'm giving, I'm giving away. I'm giving it away at this point. I'm sorry. But listen, because now we've just read ourselves into scripture. Let's see what Tim does with that. <laughs> I've got a plan. I'm, I'm organized. I'm a visionary. How many planners in the house? How many visionaries in the house? I'm a visionary. Maybe not much of a planner, but a visionary. I'm always thinking about what is next. I'm going to let you know right now, this message is going to be hard for you. This message is going to be very, very hard for you to comprehend, but I really believe that God wants to speak something directly to you today. Because in all reality, we have no clue what God is going to do next. And I like it that way. I never want to limit God to my understanding. One of the things that I heard said, um, it was recently by, I think it was um, Michael Heisner, was that what we see happening here, we see happening a lot. We'll have pastors that want to make a point, so they'll go searching for a text to make their point for them and force their point upon the text, which is 100% what's happened here already. When there are other texts out there within Scripture that actually make that point already that they could use to then teach through the text. One of those texts is, I think, I mean, in, in, in Joseph, right? I mean, uh, that where he tells his brother, what well, you meant for evil, God used for good. I mean, there's other texts in the New Testament as well. I mean, uh, Paul, I forget who he's writing to because my memory is trash, but basically saying that God works all things to, for good for those that, uh, that love him and are called according to his purpose. And the idea being that, yeah, no matter what occurs, good, bad, terrible, God works those things in our life 
for his glory and his and our and our good and the idea being that like it might hurt but it's still it is still God's plan and this would have been a perfect text to use for this whole idea that hey we don't know what's coming next but God does know what's coming next we may not know what's going on in the situation but God does know what's going on in the situation he's in that situation so this is just a good example uh when I when I when I listened to this the first time for that quote the idea that like why read our why read our point onto a text that doesn't say that when there are other texts out there that do say that. I'm okay with that. And at this moment, John has no clue what Jesus is about to do. Because in verse 13, we go back one verse, it says, then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. Do you think John knew that Jesus was coming from Galilee to the Jordan? So there, there's the thing. So which was it? Is John not know what's going to happen or is John trying to prevent the miracle? Because he can't do both. He can't be trying to prevent the miracle if he doesn't know what's going to happen next. It just doesn't make sense. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Hey, I don't know where you are at right now. I don't know what situation that you're going through, but I can tell you right now, God is on the move. He's going from Galilee to your Jordan. He's going from Galilee to your marriage. He's going from Galilee to your relationship with your kids. He's going from Galilee to provision. He is Jehovah Jireh, my provider. John had no clue that Jesus was on the move. John's baptizing people. He's preaching the gospel. He's increasing his reach. And what you got to understand is from Galilee to Jordan is like a 70 mile walk. And they didn't have no Teslas back in the day. Okay. So this ain't one hour. I'm talking, this dude is walking. Jesus is walking. I mean, maybe he was on a donkey. So like, that's a fast walk. That's it. Okay. This is a long time. This is, this is a couple days at least maybe. So this is the most context we're going to get of this passage. So notice though, it's not bad. Like that's good information to have. How long is it? How long of a walk did Jesus take to get here? That's good information. Let's see what happens. Even next. a week. Again, I don't know if you've been in a situation for two years, two months, two days, or two seconds, God is working on your behalf, whether you know it, see it, feel it, or understand it at all. This dude is an eisegesis master. He took the amount of time and the distance that it took Jesus to walk from one place to another and still made it about you. What? He's going to get a gold star. But as much as we think we do, we have minor control over what is next. Minor control. Because Jesus replies, let it be so now. In the message translation, it says, do it now. That just says to me that Jesus was an eight on the Enneagram. You know what I'm saying? He said, do it. <laughs> do it right now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus is letting John know, I know what needs to happen next. I need you to focus on what's happening now. I know what's happening next. You focus on right now. Why? Jesus. What happens next is always up to Jesus. But what happens now is always up to you.
Now, this is going to be one of his main points the rest of the sermon. What happens next is up to Jesus. What happens now is up to you. This is going to be a theme for the last 15 minutes of this sermon. Is that over and over and over again, going back to Jesus is in control of next, you are in control of now. So just keep that in mind as we keep going through this, this, um, this talk. It's always up to you. When you look at the verse 15, when it says that it's proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness, those words right there, fulfill and righteousness. These are weighty words in the passage on why Jesus needs to be baptized. Have you ever thought about this? Why did Jesus need to get baptized? That don't make any sense to me. This is an excellent question. This, this is actually the question leading up to like, okay, why did he have to get baptized, right? Why? This is what we were talking about at the very beginning of the sermon, that this text has a lot here. Why is Jesus here? He doesn't need to repent. John is at least aware of that much. Jesus is, doesn't need to be here. Why is he here? Well, let's see what Tim says, and then we'll kind of talk about it. You created water. You can become water if you'd like. What do you... What do you what do you mean? Why, why does Jesus need to be baptized in this very moment? But what he's helping John understand is that I am fulfilling the role as an obedient, everyone say obedient, obedient, obedient son of God by practicing the righteousness of submitting to God's will. Jesus knew I'm going to get on the cross. I'm going to die for all the sins. I'm going to, I'm going to raise from the grave and I'm going to change the entire world. But in order for me to do next, you right now have got to baptize me so that I can help everyone in the world understand this is how you are obedient in the righteousness of submitting to God's will. I don't, oh, that's the, that's the God I want, I want to serve. He ain't cutting any corners. He could have, and I don't know if we would have even questioned it. Okay, so Tim gets pretty much on it. He says it a little bit differently than I would have. And it's at least nice that you can tell the points that he feels like, or it seems like he feels like he needs to make, he's got written down. He always goes back to the podium there to read off almost word for word, like the points that need to be noted. So that whole point that he is, he is the perfect stand in for the obedience to fulfill or to, for the righteousness to uh, be obedient to the father. Um, after this, and this is where that really, I mean, Tim did mention the cross later, uh, as far as this, this leading up to the cross, but immediately after this, Jesus goes into the wilderness to be, to do the thing Israel was not able to do. Um, so this is like, there's just this one thing after the other demonstrating this, that Jesus is standing in for his people. He is being, um, what his people, uh, what us as humanity could not do. Uh, starting with what the people of Israel could not do in the desert, which is why Jesus goes into the desert as well. So Tim gets it here. I don't think he, uh, he he's not ignorant of it. He doesn't turn it directly on us. Uh, he, he is on a right path in regards to explaining this well. Um, let's see where he goes from here. He didn't cut a single corner. He said, no, this is exactly what needs to happen. This is what needs to happen. And right now you can start taking out that TV real quick, guys. Thank you so much. In verse 16, it says this. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he came up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. 
And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love and with him I am well pleased. Did you ever think that John knew that the heavens were going to crack open? Did you ever think that a dove was going to descend down to earth? He never thought that. Why? Because he tried to prevent the miracle beforehand. See, he's going to ride this point a lot. Now, whereas I would say that Tim is pretty much on with this idea of why Jesus needs to be baptized, like I said, I think that could be, we could work that out a, a ton in this sermon. Um, we don't, but we could. We have like 20 minutes left. Uh, well, right around 10, I guess, minutes left to kind of work this out in this sermon. But he doesn't do that. But he does write the point over and over again that John, though John didn't know that this was going to happen, John still tries to prevent the thing that he didn't know was going to happen. It just doesn't make sense. John didn't know. We have no indication that John that knew, and he acknowledges that. But John tries to prevent the thing before it happens by, by not wanting to baptize Jesus because he knows Jesus doesn't need baptized. He doesn't understand. John, in that moment, does not understand, nor did the disciples. And we only do, we do now because of hindsight in the scriptures, understand that Jesus was a stand-in for his people in this regard. He didn't need to be baptized for repentance, but he comes and does it anyway. As a beginning, uh, a shadow of what's going to happen later, as obedience to the Father. Anyway, let's keep going. He didn't even know Jesus was going from Galilee to the Jordan. He, 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 he had no clue. No clue. When have we found ourselves preventing God's miracle in our lives? Have you ever thought that you've known better? So this, this is a great example of what often happens, right? Now, this is not just Tim. Again, with these sermon reviews, we're looking at bigger ideas presented by specific people. And this is what's happening here. Um, what Tim is doing is he's taking this huge this huge topic that could be really de delved into about Jesus' baptism, his perfect obedience, how, how he, he plays that and lives that out for us um, as a demonstration, and how we can look to Jesus as obedience to the Father and then submit to him and, and live in such a way as obedience after him as well. Um, that this ultimately leads to the cross. And why is the cross necessary? Why is it important for Jesus to be obedient to the Father all the way to the cross and death upon a cross? Jesus ultimately is raised from the dead um, and, and given the name above all names, that every knee should bow, every mouth confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Why is that happen? Well, because there has to be atonement between us and God. There is a wrong relationship between us and God because of our sin. And Jesus here starts his ministry out that will eventually lead him to there. And this is a powerful text. Even like you could just ignore the fact that you could go into a bunch of Trinitarian theology here. Ignore that and just talk about the baptism. We have a lot. Add the Trinitarian theology and our minds are blown. All right. There's a lot we could dig into here, but we've, we automatically make it about just temporary things about us preventing God's miracle as if, as if we can stand in his way of what he wants to do. He will do his will, whether using us or not. Let's keep going. For yourself, like, nah, this isn't the way it needs to happen. This isn't going according to 
plan. John never intended for any of this to happen, but Jesus did. Jesus knew a little bit more than John did, which can kind of be hard to understand. Oh, Jesus knows more than me. That's how we act sometimes. <laughs> That's how we live. I know better than God. I'm stepping on toes. That hurt. I'm stepping on my toes. I, I can find myself thinking, I know I've got everything ready. I know exactly how it needs to go. I know exactly what my sons need to do. Jesus is giving us insight. We got to be in the now. We got to be in the now. When you think about it, what's next is always now. You know that God will never give you next. He never will. And he can't. He can't give you next. You don't believe me. You ready? What's next? Now? What's next? Now? What's next? Now? What's next? Now? He will never give you next. Why do we focus our entire life on it constantly? So one of the things, going back to what I said earlier, about other passages being able to communicate this better than the passage that we're using. One of the aggravations of while I listened to this the first time was that this passage doesn't really have anything to do with the principle of us understanding that God is in control of the next and we're living in the now. That's not a terribly bad principle to, to talk about. This is just a terrible text to use to talk about it. I mean, there's other texts, right? And we've already talked about those texts. So why not use a text that actually talks about the sovereignty of God, God's control, God being in control? There's stories that demonstrate this. We mentioned one of them, Joseph, right? Joseph acknowledges that the evil that his brothers did to him, God actually used for good, right? There, there are texts that we could use here without reading ourselves into them that demonstrate Christian principles in regards to this method. So this method isn't necessarily bad. I mean, there, there's a lot to be taken from this, the reality that, that God is in control of the future and we are living in the now, trying to work that out, not knowing more than God, just kind of trying to figure it out, knowing that he's good. So there, there are other texts that demonstrate this, but this is what happens. This is, a, I think, a good example of what happens when you try to shoehorn a, a, a principle we find in Scripture. You try to shoehorn it into a passage that doesn't have anything to do with that. 
I mean, the text that we read is a beautiful passage of Jesus' obedience to the Father. Uh, Jesus is standing in for us. This wonderful text of the Trinity and us introducing <clears throat> introduction to that um, within the Gospels. And we could talk about Jesus' submission. We could talk about it leading to the cross. We could talk about uh, sin and salvation. But like to shoehorn this principle into this text, it, it just makes it painful. Because it's not meant to bear this text, this this point, because it's not what the text is about. Let's keep going. Now, don't hear me say, don't plan, don't think about next, don't be a visionary. No. Do you think our church has a vision for what's gonna happen next? Absolutely. You think we think about it? 100 percent Do you think we try and plan for some things? Absolutely, but it's not the priority. When next becomes a priority, it ultimately becomes prevention. It ultimately prevents what God is actually trying to do. We've got to understand, we do not know what's best. God knows what's best. So did you catch that? Whenever we try to plan, sometimes it becomes prevention to what God is trying to do. And that's why Tim thinks that this passage actually fits what's, what's going on. Because his perspective of this passage is John is trying to prevent what God has planned by thinking that he knows what's best. Technically, John is 100% right. John should not be baptizing Jesus. John's not wrong. John's right. He shouldn't be. But Jesus tells him otherwise and says, no, let's go ahead and let's do this to fulfill all righteousness. And John says, okay. John is obedient to what Jesus tells him to do. Even though he knows that Jesus shouldn't be there, Jesus says, let's do it. And John says, okay. There's not John trying to prevent something from happening because John's plan is being messed up. John has an idea of why people are there, knows that Jesus shouldn't be. Like this speaks to the righteousness of Christ. This speaks to the righteousness and sinlessness of Jesus because John goes, you shouldn't be here. And Jesus says, let's go ahead and do it to fulfill all righteousness. And John does it. He submits. He obeys. So this is why I, I, I hope you caught that. That's why Tim thinks that this passage communicates his point. Because his whole thing is that sometimes our planning gets in the way of what God's doing. It prevents what God's doing because our plan, we think our plan's better. Now, again, great topic, not the passage for it. That's why I love our church. That's why I love our pastors. 14 years? That's why we can come in and spend the entire weekend last weekend and we can celebrate 150,000 salvations, 20,000. So keep an eye on the 150,000 salvations. We'll talk about that in a minute. And baptisms, $52 million given to outreach because we understand we're going to celebrate right now. One of our core values. We will not take this for granted. It's about expressing gratitude. That's all we did last week. Expressing gratitude for what God has been doing in our lives and in our church. Like imagine this. Jesus rolls up and you're in the lazy river and Jesus comes to you and he's like, hey, I want you to baptize me. Are you saying what John said? Probably not anymore after you've heard this. 
I realized like, well, maybe I would have still asked some questions, but now, now reading this passage, I'm like, no, uh-uh. Jesus coming to me saying, hey, I want you to baptize me. I'm like, oh, really? Me? Okay, great. Let's do it. Thank you. So this negates a lot of what's happening. John is baptizing the people uh, in a baptism of repentance for their sins. Um, there's a lot behind that. Honestly, I haven't looked into it a ton. I just know that that's what he's doing. I'm sure there's a lot there that if I would have studied up for it, we could talk about it. I'm not, I don't remember, but it is a baptism for repentance. John is right. As I've already said to, to be like, to talk to Jesus and be like, I, you don't need me to baptize you. You, I need baptized by you. This is the same thing that happens at the Last Supper. Peter's like, I, why are you washing my feet? I should be washing your feet. This is also why when he's called by Jesus, he says, I, I don't deserve to No, I don't deserve to, to be here. It's this understanding when we come in contact with Jesus that we know he's righteous. We know he's good. Our sins become prevalently obvious. Like, there's no hiding them. When Jesus shows up, we know who we are and because we know who he is. We know he's righteous and good, sinless, and we know we're not any of those things. So John's right to say that. Are you, are you going to be so arrogant if Jesus walks up to you like, yeah, I'm totally the person that should be doing this. No way. Are you kidding me? I wouldn't even be in the river baptizing other people. It is, it is a misunderstanding of what is happening in the text to, to assume that, yeah, you can, like, now that you've heard this and you know you have to operate in the now and not the next, that of course you would baptize Jesus. Are you kidding me? You think you are, you are in a position to do that? I think it's a, it's a misunderstanding and a downplaying of what's happening here. What an honor. This is huge. Are you serious? Okay, grab my hand. I'll hold your nose. Oh my God, your hair is beautiful. Wow. I love it. Right? I'm coming in grateful. I'm coming in with some gratitude. Let me tell you something. Our job is thank you. His job is next. That's our responsibility. Because the revelation of next only comes with the realization of now. I'll say it a different way. The revelation of next only comes with the responsibility of now. We have looked at now as something that we can just move to the side. When in all reality, that is the only thing that God has ever given you, is right now. It's right now. It's right now. What's next? Now. What's next? Now. What's next? Now. That's it. That's all we have. And for a generation and a society and a culture for, who always asks, What's next? I dare to say this. Show me your now, and I'll show you your next. So we're at the point now where we're not even, we, we've, 
I don't want to say we've used the text because I get the feeling that Tim, he cares about the text that he's using. He's just not using it correctly. So we're at the point now where we're just like away from the text. The text has served its purpose at this point. We're not going to hear any more about the text for the next 10 minutes. We're, we're just, now we're just going to be talking about how we are in this position and we need to deal with this and this is what we do and the next and the now and that rotation of thought. And this is what happens when we don't, one, use the proper text to teach a point. Two, when we make the text all about us and not what it's actually about. Now, to Tim's credit, he, he did talk about Jesus and John a lot more than most pastors may have when using this text. But that doesn't negate the fact that it was not done in a way that was faithful to the text. Like, it made some great points, right? That's... What happens so often is that some really good practical points are made. So then we overlook the reality that the text that we're preaching from has nothing to do with those points. And we've had to shove them in to make them say that. The, in doing so, we, we teach our people that they can do the same thing. And that's dangerous. We haven't taught them how to properly exegete scripture, right? We haven't taught them how to read scripture in its cultural context, why things were said a certain way, why things were said at all, what it meant to the original people, and then dig out from that as a believer and follower of Jesus, what does that then mean application-wise for how I should live, how I should behave, how I should interact with others? When we put ourselves in the text and then just twist it like we're trying to get juice out of a lemon here, like it's problematic. We're, 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 we're destroying the text in the process. Not even probably meaning to. I don't think Tim, I think Tim probably has the best of intentions here. But he's not being faithful to what the text says in regards to the reality of, he, he got really close. He talked about it for a second. It's Jesus' perfect obedience to the Father as a stand-in for his people. And then we just like let it go. There's so much more that can be di just dove in into there. Let's keep going. Show me what you're doing right now. Show me how you're praying right now. Show me what you're believing for right now. Every single one of us has been given something. You've been given something. What are you going to do with it? Why compare? What's the chart that you're comparing off of? That doesn't make any sense. Every single person in this room has breath. You have time. Why? What's next? Now. What's next? Now. And those moments are going quicker than you think. What are you doing with right now? Are you okay with just coming in and being like, I attended church. That's good. That's great. I'm, I'm you know, 11 years in full-time ministry, I know I don't look that old, but 
11 years in full-time ministry, a youth pastor the whole entire time. People will ask me, man, how do you, how do you get so many teenagers apart and coming to your events and wanting to be a part of the thing? I was like, teenagers aren't the hard ones. That's not hard. Make it a little relevant. Talk to them the way that they talk at school and, you know, focus on one thing during the, you know, the sermon and like, you, you Gucci, Gucci gang, Gucci gang. <laughs> Am I right? <laughs> okay, maybe not. <laughs> I'm not trying to be nitpicky here. He's not like nothing about Jesus. Nothing about growing them in Christ, nothing about telling them about Jesus' life-changing tran transformation, none of that. None of it. It's the parents that are difficult. I, I can say that, but why? It's same here. I have found myself almost allowing things, and I'm like, wait, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> why am I doing that? Like, we, we, we were going to put... Brody, Brody, in that picture, was in sixth grade. That dude's a giant, okay? He's twice the size of, of everyone in his class, okay? And he wants to play basketball. I'm like, this dude, no matter what, like, you don't even care if he got any skill. He's just tall, so it's going to work in sixth grade, okay? They're like, man, we want to put him in this camp. Like, we're so excited. Like, you know, he could be the next, you know, whatever. I'm like, okay, cool. Let's do it. Awesome. Then I realized it happened on the weekends. I was like, hey, bud, I'm sorry, man. <laughs> I'm sorry. And you know what my son said? I, I can't lie. I have, I have to tell him the truth. He's like, I get it. I didn't even have to really tell him the entire reason. He just knew, like, yeah, dad, it's on the weekend. I was like, oh. And, like, that's maybe, like, our one parent success, you know? I just... I'm not the hero or anything like that. I just this was one parent parental success. So I was like, yes, he gets it. He understands the value of every single weekend in church. He understands the value of serving out at the youth tent. He understands the value of getting into a group. And we had to force it for years. But he's looking at me like, man, this is exactly what I want to do with my life. But ah. I don't know. I'll step back. And then guess what happened? Six months later, we found a camp that's during the week. But if I would have been like John trying to prevent it. So there it is again. John trying to prevent the miracle, which was not accurate. John was, we're not going to go over it again. You get the idea. Um, this has become. And this is one of the things that I think this is, when I was listening to it, it's not hard to listen to, right? There's some sermons you listen to that you're just like, like falling asleep. Um, and he's energetic. Tim is energetic. Tim is engaging. Tim is good at telling stories. Um, and a lot of the things that Tim is saying is are practical things, right? They're practical, helpful I can apply this right now, today type of things, right? But what we're looking for in a sermon is someone that is going to open the Word of God, that is going to teach the Word of God, that is going to then, you know, to, to, to equip the, the body of believers to go live out the, the scriptures that we've, that, we've, that we've 
that we've read, that we've heard about to encourage us, uh, to equip us, to sometimes reprimand us, right? If need be, if the scripture calls for that. But this, the scripture is not able to do that right now, right? If anything, if, if we've gotten anything out of the text today, or anything out of the sermon, it's been that Jesus is in control. Jesus is in control of the next. We're in control of the now, and we shouldn't, like John, step in the and try to prevent Jesus from doing something. Well, one, no one's gonna try to prevent Jesus from doing something, right? We don't know what Jesus is gonna do, so that would be near impossible to prevent his plan. I'm trying to just jump in front of him because we think he's gonna go this direction. As I've said before, there's practicality here. In other verses, in regards to God's sovereignty, God's plan, God's purpose, God's mission, um, and how we fit in that. There's a, there's a slew of New Testament letters that are written um, by either James or Peter or, 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 or Paul that, that would fit this. That would actually, you know, th- this, this principle could be, could be mined from those texts practically for believers because those believers were going through that, whether it be hardship and trouble, whether it be persecution, whether it be just, you know, Paul trying to teach them the reality that God is in control when they doubt it. Like all of these things are, are connected to what Tim is saying. It just is mind boggling to me why we're using Jesus' baptism for this. When Jesus' baptism demonstrates a, a lot of really deep things. Jesus' obedience. God's, God's being pleased with him. The reality that Jesus is righteous and sinless. John's reaction of, of, of like knowing his own sin, his inability to actually be able to, to baptize Jesus in this moment. Like he shouldn't be the one doing this. There's a lot that we could get from this. Let's keep going. I would have never have known, oh, there's another camp that is accessible that will work perfectly with our schedule. Ah! This is what I'm trying to, I mean, people will come up to me, parents, and they'll be like, oh man, Youth X 2020 summer camp, teenagers, they look so awesome. Oh my goodness. Can you convince me why my child should go? Are you serious? I got to convince you? I think it's because we don't understand the ROI on the church. All right. The return on investment in the church. I can send my kid to a basketball camp. I can send him to private school. He might gain confidence through that. He might. He might get some good friends. He might. I'm not saying sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, right? Would we all agree? Yeah, it's not a 100% guarantee. The church is a 100% guarantee that you are going to get something beneficial in their life, in your life, in your marriage. It might take some time but it's a 100% guarantee. Why would- That's an interesting take that 
Um, sending your kid to church camp, which is what he's essentially saying, is a return on investment 100%. Your kid will definitely get something out of it. That that could be true, but I've taken enough kids to church camp to know that that does not always happen. I mean, I, I, I've seen kids grow up in church, hear every sermon, and then leave the faith. I'm not sure what he's getting at here with the return on investment as if, like, if I bring my kid to church every Sunday, then my kid will therefore believe. Like, God willing. Like, please, yeah, as a parent, you kidding me? You should be face down every night praying that God saves your kid's soul. That God grabs a hold of them and changes them from the inside out. Like, that you wake up one day and your kid is, like, you're like, what happened to you? <laughs> like, like, that should be any parent's any Christian parent's prayer, like that that happens. But to like have this ROI, return on investment, like you bring your kids here, your kids will get something out of it, you'll get something out of it. I'm not sure where, like this doesn't, one, this definitely doesn't fit into the sermon, but two, like this is an odd principle. This is like applying the raise a child up in the way he should go and he'll never depart from it and like blanket applying it to every child that's ever been in church. If you've been in church for five minutes, like you know that that does not always occur. There are people that pray for their kids for decades and never see, never see that prayer answered. God's still faithful. God's still good. But it's not a 100% guarantee. I don't know if that's what he's saying. That seems like that seems to be what he's saying. It's just an odd take. Would I not... Why would I not right now, right now, right now? And the only thing that I realized was either you don't understand the concept of next and now, or you don't understand the return on investment in the church. It baffles me how much access we have and resource we have as a church. And a lot of us don't take the most advantage of it as we can. The community that you could have, the friendships, the mentorship. I'm like, this is everything. It might not be what I planned, but this is everything. I'm like, if I'm a, if I'm a, if I'm a parent, I'm signing my kid up for YouthX 2020, 100%. I don't need to ask any more questions. Cause here's the deal. You ready for this? Well, well I ain't got no money. Well, I'm glad you said that. I'm glad you went to the table and said you ain't got no money because guess what? We got scholarships. You see how you find out things when you do stuff now? Instead of like, oh no, there's no way. I ain't got no money. I ain't gonna even happen. Like when people say like, all right, I'm gonna go to an e-group. I go to that e-group and then like, I don't necessarily like that e-group. That could happen. You could be like, oh, that e-group leader is a little weird. <laughs> Ugh. And then God starts speaking to you. Well, then why don't you start one? No, I'm see, but see how it goes to the next thing. It's a 100% guarantee that God is going to do something beneficial in your life. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. It's a timing thing. So, yes and no, right? So, what do you have the opportunity to do? I mean, we're already not using the the, the scripture that we were looking at in, in Matthew, so we can just nix that. But even if you're not using that, this is a really good opportunity to tell someone, which it contradicts his ROI principle, so I can see why he doesn't. But this is a really good time to play into the point that he is saying, that, that God is doing something in your life. 
And sometimes it is fireworks and like banners and confetti everywhere. And it is a party because God is doing something just absolutely amazing in your life that you never expected him to do. You got the job. You you had the kid. Uh, you 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 like you you were able to, to to experience the things that you had been praying to experience. And then there's other times where God is not doing any of that. Like you you just you don't see Him doing anything. You don't you 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 you're you're dead broke. Your car busted up. You've lost your job. You still can't get pregnant. And you're going, where are you at? Even in those moments, see, this is a perfect opportunity in a sermon like this. If we're already going to go from now to next, if this is the principle we're going to follow, sure, let's do that. This is a good opportunity to say in the highs and in the lows, God is still in control. He is doing something in your life. You may be experiencing the best thing right now. And in your life, he is blessing you and he is showing you his just his tangible goodness and mercy and grace to you. But he also may be building character character in you. Character that can only come from terrible, terrible times. This is why this passage, I, I, I would argue, doesn't even fit what he's talking about. You have other passages, right? You have Peter writing to the churches that are displaced, that are first facing persecution, that are having to experience that God is doing something in them for his glory, even though they're being kicked out of the synagogues, even though they're losing family, even though they're being persecuted at their job, like all of these things, God is building, doing something in you to bring about something that you would not, he wouldn't, couldn't normally bring about unless this happened to you, right? So, I mean, this is going to be a great time to encourage the body. That God is in control. God does know what's next. God is working out things that you could have never imagined. Sometimes coming in the form of blessing and sometimes coming in the form of pain. But either way, he's still doing it. And he's good. Either, either time, he's good. And that's why community, right? So I agree with, I agree with him. Uh, we have a lot of resources in the church and we don't, we don't utilize or understand a lot of them. The, the body, the local gathering is one of those things. Because when you're at your highest high, people are able to celebrate with you. See God's goodness in your life. Know that God is actively doing things. See the tangible evidence of that. And then when you're at your lowest low, the body is able to come around you and pray for you and care for you and be the family of God to you. In both instances, God is good and he's providing for you and he's with you. Anyway, let's keep going. He's about to end. And timing, when it comes to next, that's up to God. But when it comes to now, if the only thing I have to worry about is now, that is me. That's my job. And when he blesses me, when he takes care of me, when he gives me the encouragement that I need, when he sends people my way, what do I say? Thank you, Jesus. What an honor. I knew that if I made this decision right now, that you were going to come to me, that you were going to take care of me, that you were going to let me down. And even though it took two years, I would love to be in this position rather than my own plans. 
I could have everyone standing in this moment, I want to give people the opportunity to come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. All right, this is where I mentioned earlier, he mentioned 150,000 salvations in the last year. Um, now, just to be clear, I'm not, whatever, you say that number, I'll believe you until proven otherwise. But what he's about to do is your classic altar call, like your classic repeat after me. If you're counting that, like I said a prayer, then I text you and I said I said a prayer as a salvation, that's problematic. That 150 is, is, as it's inflated. I don't know how inflated. I don't know. Like even the, the, the ability to follow up with 150,000 people effectively to place them into discipleship. Like, is that even a tangible thing? I mean, if they do it, like if you have some inside track elevation, you're like, no, we, yeah, we definitely have, we have a system down to contact, to get these people plugged in, to get these people into a group, to help, help them be discipled and mentored. Like, let me know, comment, text, like DM me, do whatever, get a hold of me. I don't want to be wrong. I'm just saying like feasibly, that's a lot of people. So watch what he's about to do. So he's having everyone stand up and he's saying, if you want to do this, make this decision, repeat this prayer. Right now. Because for some of you, you've been waiting on what's next. And it's not bad to plan. It's not bad to be organized. It's not bad to be a forward thinker. But when it becomes the priority, you're preventing everything that God has for you and wants for you, wants for your family, wants for your marriage, wants for your soul and for your spirit. I think there are many people in this room and across all the locations on EFAM right now, tuning in online, who you're saying, you know what? I'm ready right now because this is it. What's next now? What's next? Now, that's all you will ever be given. And when you see God do something over and over in your life, you'll realize it's because you could steward now. You could steward it. With every head bow and every eye closed. Okay, so we got the piano in the background um, going, which is typical. He's going to have people repeat a prayer. In fact, he's going to have the congregation repeat it with them so we're all saying it together, which defeats the purpose, but whatever. Um, he hasn't mentioned he hasn't mentioned our our sin. He hasn't mentioned repentance for that sin. He did mention the cross earlier um, briefly didn't but like didn't explain it so what are these people praying right so let's listen to the words and see what they're praying i know you've probably heard this before but let, let's listen in and then we'll kind of talk about it closed anyone who wants to come into a right relationship with jesus christ i want you to pray this prayer along with me and as a church family we're going to pray it together so i want you to say this thing. say dear jesus i thank you for who you are I thank you for who the Bible says that you are. I believe that you died on the cross 
you rose from the grave, defeating all sin. Come into my life. Make me a new creation. And right now, I will follow you for the rest of my life. With every head bowed and every eye closed at all locations, on the count of three, if you just pray that prayer right now and you're saying, you know what? I'm not going to worry about what's next. I know that in this moment is the moment that I want to make the most out of it. So before he gets to that point, right, we are assuming a lot. We're assuming people understand who Jesus is, what the Bible says about Jesus, what sin is, the reality of Jesus' death and bodily resurrection, the what it, what it means to follow Jesus. Like we're assuming a lot. Now again, to be clear, not all of those points have to be figured out, right? before you're saved. I mean, we have the thief on the cross as an example, right? He believed that Jesus was the Christ, right? He also knew that they both deserved to be up there and Jesus didn't. So there is this, this understanding at the bare minimum that Jesus is, is worlds in a way better than we are. That he doesn't deserve the punishment that we're getting, but he takes it anyway. Bare minimum. If we don't explain that to people, and we've talked about this in other in other sermon reviews, if we don't explain that to people and we just have them repeat a thing as if this thing is what's going to save us, like, do you understand that in, in this would be this is where we could have used the text of, of John and Jesus, right? Do you understand that John understands? Like he gets it that he shouldn't be baptizing Jesus. Jesus should be baptizing him because John's the one that needs to repent, not Jesus. We could have done, we could have talked about that, about how we need to be baptized for repentance, not Jesus. Why do we need to be baptized for repentance of repentance of sins? There's things that we have, that we do, that we think that go against God's law who God is. This is why Jesus came. This is why Jesus goes to the cross to make atonement for these things. But instead, in the sermon, we have the gall to say, hey, would you baptize Jesus if he came up to you? Oh, of course I would. Anyway, let's end it. You prayed that prayer for the very first time on the count of three. I want you to raise your hand. One, don't worry about next. Two, no hesitation, no doubt, no fear. Three, come on, raise your hands. Come on, let's give it up. Everyone raising their hands, making a decision right now at every location. Come on. Thank you for watching the Elevation Anyway, there's the end. Um, real super church campy vibes there at the end. Um, so hopefully, yeah, there's our friend Stephen. Hopefully you got a little bit out of this. So let's go over the three things. One, did he read scripture? He did. He did read scripture. Two, did he actually use the scripture contextually uh, with culture and context and everything that was going on? That's a big no. No, we did not. We did not do that at all. And three, did we talk about Jesus? We did talk about Jesus. It would have been impossible not to talk about Jesus, given the fact that it was Jesus' baptism. But did we talk about the gospel of Jesus? We didn't. Now, we did successfully read ourselves into the text a bunch. We did successfully make a lot of really good points for believers. 
But at the end of the sermon, we didn't distinguish who was a believer and who wasn't. Like, what does it mean to follow Christ? I mean, these practical steps and applications in trusting God for the next is great. But there's a real practical application about how we as believers can do that. Why we're able to do that. And we didn't cover any of that. So we got one of three. Hopefully, guys, I don't want to make this long, uh, video any longer. Hopefully this was helpful to you. Again, if you want to uh, support us, you can like, share, comment. All those things help the algorithm. If you want to go to the next steps, you can check out the links below. My prayer is that this is helpful to you. If you maybe think I missed something, was a little too harsh, was it harsh enough, whichever direction you think it was going to go, leave that comment in the, uh, in the comment below, and I'll try to get down there and talk to you guys uh, and kind of explain some things. Maybe if you if it was a misunderstanding or have a conversation, if you think there was something that could have been done better. Guys, thank you for watching this far, listening this far. I appreciate it more than you know. I'll talk to you next week.